Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Amen. Well, I want to speak this morning on the topic of... uh, It is is a subject I've covered before, but I believe it's so uh, in time with where we are as a church now, that it bears repeating. So if you have heard it before, then you can just say, thank you, Lord, I didn't get it the first time, I'm going to get it the second time. And if you haven't heard it before, then I pray you get it the first time. This provides a framework of which we're going to unpack the next 12 months and maybe 24 months. It needs to become a language that we use. You see, us grace-loving finished work of the cross, loving people should be the most excited to see the world transformed by the good news. We know there's power in the gospel. We know there's transformation in the gospel. We as a church have had to change our language, change our uh, paradigms, change our thinking about who God is and how he relates to us. And some of our language has to change as we consider models of the church or ways the church is structured. And what I want to share with you this morning is like a framework in which then we want to delve further and unpack as we go through the year. So the first of those is, I'm going to contrast three different churches. And the first is church as a frenzied activity with no goalposts. You get the analogy. I think I shared with you my, son, my grandson comes home and he wants to kick a ball around. But you know, after 15 minutes just running in circles with a few little boys, it's exhausting if there's no goal to the game. So once you put goalposts up, then the, you can take a pause between dribbling. In the same way, you wouldn't enjoy going to a soccer match where you just sat and watched guys passing the ball up and down and there were no goalposts. Can you imagine? Who would go and watch soccer like that? Just dribble. Well, a lot of soccer is like that anyway, but... Forget that concept. But, but the goalposts is what gives purpose. And you know, here's the thing in the church. Church can be very busy. And I can't, we, were, we studied at a very, very busy church up in Pretoria. Bless that church. But oh my gosh, there were three marriage courses running at the same time as three adolescent courses at the same time as a prenuptial course was running at the same time that uh, Romans course was running and uh, uh, evangelism course and, uh, and every week was a different speaker with a different theme and there was a conference and a seminar and a, I mean when the guys, when we got into the Toronto blessing in the late 80s and, uh, and John, uh, what was his name on it and some of the team came over to Hatfield in those days, they sat in the pastors meeting and they said you guys are heading for burnouts, you've got alphas running at the same time, you've got this running and you've got marriage courses, what are you doing? And that was just a, a sigh of relief in the life of Hatfield because we just got into the river <laughs> and it's all good intentions but it's like playing soccer with no goalposts we've got to keep remembering what are the goalposts the goalposts is that Jesus came for this purpose to destroy the works of the evil one. For this purpose, Jesus laid down his life. Not to keep us busy with church programs and activities, 
But so for this purpose was the Son manifest to destroy the works of the evil one in the lives of people and individuals and communities and families. And he did this by giving his life and entrusting us with a good message when he said, go into all the world and tell them what I've done. Remind them of what I've done and disciple them so that their disciples will make disciples who will make disciples. And that's exactly what happened in the first hundred years. And the gospel was like a wildfire. Come on. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were under the power of the evil one. He came with one message. It was a message to transform lives, to bring people back into a relationship with the Heavenly Father, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so they could pray with power and authority. And He gave them His word that He would never leave or desert them. And they went in communities. Churches were formed and, and apostolic teams were moving between churches. And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. And they continued to meet, to pray, break bread, fellowship. And great mighty signs were done by the hands of the apostles. Can you see the goalposts? Those are the goalposts. And I know there's a lot of good things and that can go on and a lot of exciting things in the church, but if we don't keep Jesus' goal as our goalposts, which will be reflected in our calendar, it should be reflected in our budgeting, it should be reflected in our programming, because if we're saying those are the goalposts, but we, our calendar reflects a hundred other thousand things, we need to simplify and aim it towards the main goal. And the main goal isn't just having a full Sunday meeting every week. Hello? This is the petrol station. I'm glad I came for, to the petrol station. But the car doesn't live at the petrol station. Harvest takes place in the harvest field. That's where the Lord adds daily. We've got to change our paradigm of church. Come to church to see people get saved. No, we leave the church to see people get saved. Goalposts need to be clear in our minds. Then another way, almost in reaction to this, is the church can be like a factory where it's just molds and templates and everything has to look the same and the organization becomes more than the individual and leaders can very easily manipulate people by saying, look, Jesus had a die. So come on, you've got to come to the next evangelism training course. If Jesus died, you can get out of bed and come to the prayer meeting. We can manipulate those kind of things. But you know what? It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. You know, there's got to be some joy. Hello, you got to be happy. If you don't, if, I mean, there's, there's a sense that duty sometimes, we just have to do duty. And we have to, you know, it's like the net. Don't feel like, you know, cleaning the pool. But sometimes you've got to, it's got to be done. But the joy is that when the summer comes, <laughs> you're going to appreciate the work of your hands. Come on, who's got a pool and knows what a annoyance it can be all year until that hot, sunny day. You get back and you just... Jesus had joy set before him. He saw your face. He saw this com community. He saw the end picture from the beginning. But a church can run like a factory. After a while, we want to put everybody in the same little groove, the same, look the same, talk the same. This is my brother Daryl. This is the other brother Daryl. This is my dad's Daryl. My kids are Daryl. And we're all the same, look the same, talk the same. 
And there's a real temptation to want to do that because it's an easy way to get people towards a goalpost. The problem is that God has put diversity in His church. And diversity is probably the most important uh, distinguisher between what He wants and what a factory looks like. I mean, any of you had two kids? Anyone with twins? Identical twins? Even identical twins are different. In the personality. And then, I mean, there's, there's just, you have children in there, they are different. Now, you might have the same purpose in life, but you know that the one that's musical is not going to be the engineer, and the one that's the engineer is not going to be musical. Hello? My wife says not necessarily, you will be what we tell you to do, yeah. Put your pink brush away and pick up that. Scalpel, you will be a drain brain doctor. Now we know that we got different templates, different styles. And when we join a church, part of a local church, the biggest mistake that ever happened was people thought that the leader had to have a vision and then God had to add you to fulfill his poor vision or wonderful vision, whatever it was. And that was never God's design. God's design is that you have a vision. And he's given some people to equip you. But the goalposts are the same. What does Jesus want to do on earth? So the uniqueness of your gift is not because the leader needs you, you to come and, and help him get to his vision. In fact, his vision should be the same as your vision. And that's to get Jesus' vision done. The discipleship movement messed that up. Made almost like Jesus is with their little followers. No, if you're part of a discipleship group, whatever you call it, a home group, a life group, a youth group, a mother's group, whatever, if you're part of a group of Christians, Jesus is always Jesus. And everybody else is a disciple of Jesus. Some are just a little bit more experienced and a little bit further down the road and they're able to help those behind them and those behind them help those that are ahead because they challenge them and ask questions that they thought they'd forgotten about. But because of the diversity in the church, we're kept on our toes and we kept different. And God knows why he put you here for such a time as this. Because you carry something that's unique. Hello? Taking way too long on this. Then finally, church as a family. Church as a family, every believer intrinsically wants to be part of a family. And I did. When I got saved and I found a group of Christians who believed the way I did, man, I thank God to this day for them. I would have never made it without them. You know, when you were born, you could have been born fully developed. With your consciousness, with your skills, with your, just appear. Husband, wife, kiss, and then cloud. Fully grown, mature. But he chose not to do it like that. He chose to be fruitful Multiply, fill the earth. Children born into a, a loving, caring family, knowing nothing, but like putty in the hands. And now there's been some bad experiences of parenting. And anyone who had a, has anyone here had a parent before? You, you know that parents can mess up, eh? And we have all kinds of people in bad situations, and we live in the fallen world, and and, and sometimes we just love them anyway, irrespective of their faults. I know I grew up, I kind of, you know, 
I get together with in family gatherings. It's my, I have to introduce people as this is my second dad's third wife's oldest son from her second marriage. Um, I don't know how we related, but we say, how's it? He's my buddy, you know. And, but deep down, we long for family, for belonging, to be integrated. And, and we can either then make the mistake of performing for it. Pick me, pick me. Here I am. Huh? Pick me, pick me. Or else we withdraw. I'm not going to get hurt. No. I'll just stay away. Thank you very much. Do my own thing. But God wants us to become mature, fully functioning grown-ups in our families. Amen? There's no beauty about the eternal babyhood of the believer as there's no beauty about the eternal babyhood of your child. I mean, there are exceptions where there are mental problems and that and our hearts break. But as a rule, we want to see our kids get up and get out and go pay their own lights and water and buy their own food. Wow, the day my daughter found out that the pick and pay wasn't in the deep freeze in our garage was an awesome day. You know, there's a shop down the road. Oh, wow, did you think that we just like uh, appeared? Don't tell, I told you. I'll deny it. So we, we love them and we want to see the maturity of believers. That's what family is. Do you know that's the prime purpose of a family? Hello? Well, I belong to this church and they're my family. That means we sit around a campfire every weekend and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. There's times to sing Kumbaya. And there's time to go on a weekend. But you know that the real purpose of a family is to produce real, mature grown-ups who can then be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that is still God's purpose and plan. My friend uh, Dave Betts and I have been talking a lot on the subject. You know, He travels a lot. He's overseas a lot. But when he's in town, we always connect. And we've been chatting along a lot around God's original intent. And I asked him to share some stuff next Sunday. I really believe it's going to be encouraging. To see that God's purpose was always to see us come to maturity. And he designed the family for that purpose. Can you say amen? That's why you, believer, need a family. And you don't need a family to keep you a baby forever. You don't need an older brother to keep reminding you he's your older brother. One day he'll become your peer and your friend. Even as parents, there comes a stage where you're still the father, but you become peers, you become friends. Because the joy is seeing the maturity. And in the church, it should be like that as well. So, seven things quickly that should happen in a family. This is both true naturally, but I want to relate it because we wanting to build this church around a family. Being, having mothers and fathers taking care of sons and daughters who, who themselves become mothers and fathers who will take care of sons and daughters. Can you say amen? Please see that picture with me. And there's a couple of things I want to throw in to, I'm sure you can add to this, but let, let, let's, let's use these for now. The first thing we learn in the family is, is identity. Identity. You get to know who you are in relation to others. I had a bit of a challenge as this growing up because I had a different surname to all my other siblings and family, cousins. And I got so tired of being asked that I began to lie about my surname. Because your name is part of your identity. Christian, 
your name. It starts to give you identity. Then you find out as a Christian that you are Christian and you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. What a beautiful identity to have. Christian, you should never have an identity crisis. You've got to look in the mirror and say, thank you that I'm complete in Him. Thank you that as He lives and moves, so am I in this world as He is. He is in me and flowing through me. These hands belong to Him. Because in this earth, I was dead, buried in baptism. I was raised with Christ on the third day. He lives inside me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside me. Devil, you might tell me what I was, but I'm telling you what Jesus says I am. And I am complete in Christ. That's my new identity. Secondly, there's shared responsibility in a family. Hello? Any of you ever grow up having to cut grass on a Saturday? Just raise your hand. A bunch of you. Those ones who raise their hands now. Did any of your kids grow up having to cut grass on Saturday? Raise your hand. Thank you for you too. I think I just made a point. Well, the point is the world has changed. We have a garden service now. It's my brother. He does the best job in my garden every month, every week. Put your hand up. Let me see my garden, my garden service, brother. Janet? Okay. All right. This is an ad for you because you do such a good job. Um, wow. Why did I say that? Richard, help me out. So in a family growing up, in our day, we had to cut the lawn on Saturday. Can you believe that, Mark? We had to cut the cross. Whether we felt like it or we didn't. There's something we had to do. And then those responsibilities change that are age appropriate as you grow up. And now it's my wife's responsibility to phone the garden service once a week. But here's the thing. In the church, there is shared responsibility. And it's age appropriate. It's spiritually age appropriate. People up here serving us in worship this morning. At the same time, we had these young minds that we are in the process of lovingly sharing Jesus with. Isn't that beautiful? Gifts that have been released to the body of Christ. And I hope there's some more music gifts out there. By the way, we need a couple of keyboardists and we need a couple of bass guitarists and a drummer urgently. So anyone out there who thinks they got it, go practice a bit and come and do it, okay? Speak to Richard and Heather and Dave and Donna and me. My point there's shared responsibility. These words come up because somebody did something behind the scenes. I've no idea they did it. They just pushed a the button. There's shared responsibility. Those people you meet with and serve. The fact that we're going to have a nice cup of coffee. And this, I'm only talking about Sunday now. What about all the other stuff? There's God's cupboard there. You buy it in, that money goes back into circulation and ends up with food on somebody's table. Isn't that a miracle? Jesus said, what I've been doing, you'll do an even greater thing. He, he was talking about God's cupboard, eh? Thanks for those three amens. Everyone else is totally confused now. So thank you. If you're part of a family, you say, what is my shared responsibility in this house? And then thirdly, we learn how to resolve conflict between members without blaming. We learn to resolve conflict. Conflict between brothers and sisters. You took my shoes out of my cupboard. Now I'm going to go to the cupboard and take it. I know never in this church, but I've got family. True, uh, true, true story. A brother and sister still not speaking to this day after 40 years. 
because they had a fight 40 years ago, and they still not. I saw him last year. I said, So, how's this? No, we don't talk. How tragic if we never learn to resolve conflict and not holding on to blame. But we grow through it. You know that you can grow through conflict. You know that actually conflict's good for some relationships because you can see who you can trust and who you can't trust. You go through conflict with someone, come out the other side and still love each other, your bridge is stronger to drive the next truck over. Hello? But if you go through conflict with someone and they... Puffy, puffy, you can't trust them the next time. Amen? Maybe I should have preached this last week because I don't know if anyone's getting it today. Fourthly, in a family environment, we learn general disciplines, routines, and boundaries. That's true for your children you grew up. That's true in the house of God. They're general disciplines, general table manners. You know, if a leader comes from another church, I'll contact that pastor and see, was, is that okay? Are things good there? Sometimes there's conflict. But always there's just a general good manners, general boundaries, general routines. When you were growing up, I hope most of you, your parents taught you how to budget. That's like a practical thing, eh? My parents didn't, but I hope yours did. And I quickly found out when I started working that if your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will become your downfall. Okay? I quickly found out what's spent in the first week means there's a long month before the end of the month. But when you start budgeting, proper, responsibly budgeting, and you put God into your giving and finances, hello? Give my first fruits for His purposes, and I budget my money, I suddenly found a miracle. From a little boy hitchhiking on a road with a little case that didn't even belong to me, with nowhere to go and nowhere to really to a day when I walked in and bought my first home, I lifted up my hands and I said, God, but for you. Because at a young age, in my spiritual walk, God taught me, because I didn't have that growing up, how to budget. Basic disciplines, routines, boundaries that we need to learn. Number five, I'm not the center of the universe. That's a good thing to learn in a family. Did your brothers and sisters teach you that? Unless you're the only child. We're going to have only child ministry straight after the service this morning. If you had brothers and sisters, you quickly found out you weren't the center of the universe. Amen? I mean, wherever, after a while, I used to go to places and I would, I would say my name, but when no one recognized me, I would say my brother's name. Then everybody recognized who I was. Because he was the Victor Ladorum and the, you know, Victrix Ladorum, whatever, Victor, or Victor. Hey. I was the high school dropper. But I quickly found out I wasn't the center of the universe and that other people are important. And our identity comes from who God thinks we are, not from the pecking order system that we're in. And there's a maturity that comes 
when you know you're not the center of the universe and not everything has to revolve around you because you, you become mature in acknowledging other people and their achievements. Amen? Now that happened, that should have happened growing up in our family. It was like all my kids laughed. My daughter could bully her brother until he turned about seven. And then the field got leveled. And then we had to teach him you don't hit girls. She loved that. Maturity comes. You sometimes hear people talk to the kids, and I'm all for we must encourage our kids and we need to blow sunshine. But when we make them feel like they God and God the second, good time to correct your theology this morning about loving our kids more than God. Um, Jesus said, if you cannot hate your mother and father and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. But then in 1 John, he says, if you don't love the people you see, how can you say you love the God you don't see? So in the Old Covenant, Jesus is making a point. People were going around saying, I love God, I love God, I love God. But, but actually, they didn't know what that meant. So he said, well, the day you can hate your parents, then you show me you can love God. He was preaching the law to the unconverted to help them to see that they were incapable of obeying the great commandment to love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. But in 1 John in the New Covenant, John says, if you don't love those you see, how can you say you don't love those? So is that clear? Good. Sorry, moving on now. Before she throws something at me. Good word, sister. I receive it. I know I'm not the center of the universe. She is. <laughs> love our children. And teach our children to love their parents. Number five, basic respect and honor. Basic respect and honor. Learn in a family. Okay, that did distract me a bit. But l- l- let me say this, that when, w- when we're in the church and we think we're the center of the universe, it doesn't take long before we get a rude awakening. You know, someone comes in, well, I, I was prophet dingbat in this church, and I was evangelist Wuwa in that church, and I was you know, apostle uh, Wing Wang in that church, and I was and I'm now in your church, and, and when, when are you going to start using me, brother? When are you going to start using me? But, well, you know, just why don't you come and sit down and worship with us and find out who are the moms and dads here, and just start loving them and serving them. You know what I mean? I know I can say this this morning because it's not applicable to anyone here. Those people are all away. So, but but sometimes dad's got to look across and just remind one of the kids that he's already had the second piece of cake and there's others sitting at the table. Does a dad have to do that? Did your dad ever do that? That's your third helping, and your mother's still in the kitchen washing the dishes, and she hasn't eaten yet. Or did daddy just go? Oh well, you know these millennials—they just are what they are. So in the church, we, we learn these things. Finally, destiny and our purpose. What did you learn growing up in your family? You started getting in touch, and hopefully your parents noticed your gifts, your abilities. They started to encourage you in the areas of what you could do well. 
and out of that came the sense of, when I'm grown up, I'm going to drive a train, man. You know, out of that, five years later, when I grow up, I'm going to fly an airplane. You know, every five years you change, but our destiny and purpose as believers is to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's our life destiny. Now God may make you an engineer because he's going to give you an area of influence to be the best engineer and care for people's eternal salvation. He's going to give you a company because you're going to be the best manager of that product. But in that place, God's going to put people around you that you're going to care about their eternal position in eternity. God's going to make you a, a doctor, a dentist with a practice. He's going to give you a law firm. He's going to give you an IT company because there's gifting and there's purpose and there's calling and He wants you to be the best at that thing. Not everyone's called to just leave it all and go, you know, get a tent and a generator to preach the gospel. Those that do that, that's wonderful. But what is God's destiny as a businessman, as a lawyer, as a, a mother with four children? Those are the people God has put in your life, around you. And you know mistake. You're not there by mistake. I trust you have a sense of destiny in this life. Because if we live without purpose, if we live without destiny, if it's just about us and our little practice, our little company, our little... It's a very, very, if, if we're all wrapped up with ourselves, it makes a very small little package. But when we recognize, no, that is what God gifted me with. And with this, I have an influence in a group of people around me. And I'm going to actually start praying for them. How's that for a concept? Woo! I thought prayer meeting was Sunday morning. See? God's actually, they group around you, those investigators. You're going to find you're going to actually start praying for them. And then you're going to actually tell somebody one day, while I was praying for you, I really felt like the warmth in my heart while I was praying about that situation you're going through. They're going to go, what? didn't even know you were a Christian. thought you were a Buddhist or something. Seriously. You prayed for me? Wow, thank you so much. Those people around you are in our lives for a purpose. Can you see what it means from Genesis? Be fruitful. In other words, have fruit. Have babies. Multiply. See them through to maturity. So they can go and... Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God wants us to dominate. God wants us to go forth and have communities that are God worshippers, God lovers, in relationship with Him, that are going to spend eternity growing and multiplying, investing in eternity together. What kind of church do you want to be part of? Just a busy, busy, frenzied activity church? Just a kind of a production line church? And you know, we all got a bit of that in us. Let me say, no church is completely exempt of those. There's a percentage in there, and you've got to keep on fighting to keep that percentage down. But primarily, we've got to start thinking of ourselves 
as moms and dads. Good morning, moms and dads. Goedemorgen, ma en pa. Sani banani, Bazalani. Gogo, Madala. Sali banani. We've got to start thinking ourselves also as sons and daughters. I want a father in my life. I've got a spiritual father, one or two that speak into my life. I've got brothers that we talk straight and argue. And, but I also need to have sons. So you have to decide, are you going to position yourself as a daughter? If so, who to? Are you going to position yourself as a sister? Or are you going to position yourself as a mom? Is there somebody who needs to be, you need to be the, a mom? Now I know what Jesus meant when he said, don't let anyone call you father. That is a whole different context. In the context of the church being a family, you are a dad and a mom. What I've shared this morning, I've really mulled over. I know I've shared some of this before, but coming out of last year, I said, Lord, what is the framework for everything we want to build into the future? And he reminded me of this. So, a message by John Wimber 35 years ago on the three factory fantasy and family. Clearly, amen.